Tenemos que exigir respeto a nuestros procesos políticos. Y no podemos dejar que se divida a nuestros pueblos y a nuestra región. Y construir y reconstruir cada segundo y cada momento la unión de nuestro pueblo. Today, more than ever, it is critical to support anti-imperialist media. As we heard in the clip at the beginning of the program, at ALBA's 20th summit in Havana, Cuba, Venezuelan President Nicolás Maduro talked about the need to demand respect for the region's sovereign elections, resist efforts to divide the region, and build unity amongst the peoples of Latin America. With recent victories by the left in Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Honduras, U.S. imperialism is nervous. The response by the U.S. Department of State to these recent elections, discrediting the first two and only reluctantly embracing the latter, is proof that neo-colonial domination of the region remains very much at the center of U.S. foreign policy. In the case of Venezuela, after cycling through Kuwait Sam's and street insurrections, Washington has settled on a weapon of choice, unilateral economic sanctions, which we explored in our first episode. Sanctions have taken a huge toll, severely worsening food insecurity and mass migration, But there's one thing that the Beltway bureaucrats always overlook, solidarity. Under the toughest conditions, Venezuelan popular organizations did not sit idly by. Communes and other grassroots groups have found ways to survive, even flourish, to show that surrendering to the market and to imperialism is far from the only option. On the international front, solidarity movements have also been tireless in opposing and denouncing the US-led economic war on the Venezuelan people, and their work begins to bear fruit. Yet despite the increased pressure, the Biden administration is yet to change one comma in its predecessor's sanctions program, even amidst the global pandemic. All the while, mainstream media outlets in the global north go out of their way to cheerlead Washington's murderous foreign policy, instead of reporting on the growing calls to end it. An essential part of building an anti-imperialist movement inside the US and Canada, capable of pushing back against the regime change narrative and countering corporate media propaganda is giving solidarity activists weapons for their struggle. And that's where Venezuela Analysis comes in. Our on-the-ground news analysis, interviews, and multimedia pieces counter and challenge that corporate media narrative on a daily basis. In particular, we have looked to produce content that will help the English-speaking audience understand sanctions and their deadly consequences. We've likewise strived to give a voice to the Bolivarian grassroots, which are always silenced and ignored by corporate journalists as well as cover the responses and policies of the demonized Venezuelan government under such difficult circumstances. On today's program, we're going to take a look at what goes into producing anti-imperialist media that is capable of striking back against the empire. In our first segment, we will talk with VA's own Andreina Chavez, staff writer at Venezuela Analysis and our social media mastermind. We will also speak with Camila Escalante, a Latin America-based journalist who has played a key role in disseminating an anti-imperialist perspective through Causa Chun News. First, I'd like to share a personal story about how I came to identify as an anti-imperialist. It happened in Venezuela when I heard the late President Hugo Chavez tell this story about the strength he found from being in contact with the Venezuelan people. The year was 2002. With Chavez having survived a coup attempt in April, the bosses were not content to let him govern, despite having their coup defeated by the organized masses, and conspired to destroy his government by other means. In December, 
The bourgeoisie organized the boss's lockout in the all-important oil industry, crippling the Venezuelan economy. Chavez said this actually scared him more than the coup, since he knew that it would severely affect the livelihood of his base, especially the working poor in the barrios. So, doing as he often did, he set out to talk with the Venezuelan people directly, leaving the presidential palace with only a guard and two comrades. Soon enough, he came across a woman who was eager to show him something. She took him to her modest home where her family was cooking a meal. Absent any cooking gas as a result of the lockout that had paralyzed the hydrocarbon industry, she asked him to look at what they were using for firewood, eventually telling him it was a piece of her bed, then telling him that she would continue to dismantle every piece of furniture in her house to use as firewood before she let the bosses win. The way Chavez told it, she then grabbed him forcefully by the shoulders and yelled at him, No te rindas, muchacho. You cannot give in, young man. That experience gave him the strength to push on. Chavez used to say that heading into the streets and being in contact with the masses cured whatever ailed him. That experience at the World Festival of Youth and Students in 2005 turned out to be a life-changing event for me. Although I had arrived in Venezuela with progressive ideas, it was my experience in the country that convinced me that the solutions to the problems plaguing the working class and campesinos of Latin America lied in the construction of popular power and building of political forces that understood socialism was not only necessary, but possible, if we placed our faith in the masses. In this last visit to Venezuela a few weeks ago to accompany the elections, I made sure to visit Chavez at the Cuartel de la Montaña, where he now rests after having died in 2013. As I laid my hand on his tomb, I told him that I hoped he was proud of my work, and I like to think that he would indeed approve. We begin today's program with my conversation with Venezuela Analysis, Andreina Chavez. If you've noticed the incredible improvement on our social media channels, that is, thanks in large part to our first guest today, Venezuela Analysis' own Andreina Chavez, who's also a staff writer at Venezuela Analysis. Welcome. I'd like to start by asking you a little bit about yourself. How did you get involved with anti-imperialist journalism and what brought you to Venezuela Analysis? Hi, Jose Luis. Thank you. Growing up in Venezuela, I got to see the, the Bolivarian process from the beginning. And not only I got to see, I got to live it. I got to see how, how my, my own family, my own community, life conditions improved and how even our mentalities changed because, you know, in a way we sort of rescue our identity as Venezuelans, our history, our culture and all that. So little by little, I started realizing that, yeah, I want to support the Bolivarian process and I want to do it in a way that I think is very important, which is doing journalism. So that's how I started studying journalism. And I had my mindset that I wanted to work in Telesur. I first started working in this very small radio station. And, you know, it was, a, it was really nice because I got to do a lot, of, a lot of interviews on the street, you know, meet people. I got to get involved with some solidarity movements and all that. And then like a, a year later, I got to work in Telesur, which was amazing to me because as you know, Telesur is like this big communication project that Chavez and Fidel created. And it is basically a project to give a voice to popular struggles in Latin America and to 
to show the world that we are very cultural, we have a lot of diversity. So I was in Telesur for five years and I honestly think that uh, those were some of the most amazing five years of my life because yeah, we basically got to write and interview and meet people from all over Latin America that were fighting for sovereignty, that were fighting for uh, true political and economic independence, that were fighting for so many good causes, you know, and Venezuela involved, of course. And with time, I began to think that, you know, as a, as a Venezuelan and as a journalist, that I wanted to to see a media outlet that did exactly what the lesser was doing, but something more. And I think that's exactly what Venezuela analysis is, is, is doing and that there's no other media outlet in Latin America doing what Venezuela analysis does in the sense that we are dedicated every day, the whole year, to taking down the corporate media disinformation campaign aimed at Venezuela. And Venezuela analysis does this by giving a voice to popular organizations that sustain the Bolivarian process, especially now that our country is under a deadly economic sanctions program imposed by the United States. And, but more than that is that Venezuela analysis is truly a unique source when it comes to news about what's going on in Venezuela, because it provides much needed criticism from the left, criticism coming from Venezuelan popular movements, there are supporters of the Nicolas Maduro government in the Bolivarian process, but they recognize that some economic policies or political changes are misguided and do not always benefit the people. So, and this is something that Venezuela analysis is very aware of. And, and you know, if we deny or ignore these issues, you know, these contradictions inside the Bolivarian process, we are contributing to the distorted picture corporate media portrays of Venezuela. You know, there's another aspect of Venezuela analysis that I think is so important, which is that our coverage is essential for Latin America in general. Like, you know, you know how Venezuela has become like a useful tool to attack and bully Latin America into submission with corporate media and the US and its allies using this repeated lie that Venezuela is going through an economic crisis because it is a socialist country or or a country that is transitioning to socialism. So the mainstream media likes to use Venezuela as a, as a boogeyman to make people afraid of any kind of change. You know, like you don't want socialism because look at what happened in Venezuela. And, and you know, it sounds so stupid, but this is actually what media does, especially US media that is obsessed with Venezuela. And that is because targeting Venezuela works. We've seen it in electoral campaigns all over Latin America, it has held these neoliberal governments take power. We saw it in Brazil, we saw it in Ecuador, we are seeing it now in Chile, and we're going to be seeing that. So if you take all that into consideration, Venezuela analysis, the work we do is essential for all Latin America in the fight against Washington's neo-colonial project for the continent, because we take down these, all these dishonest reporting coming from these corporate journalists that haven't even been in Venezuela. And, and if they do, they, they just go with an agenda. And well, finally, another important reason why I, I, I wanted to join Venezuela Analysis and was very fortunate to be able to join has been to, has been 
how important Venezuela analysis has been to understand the cruel and deadly sanctions program imposed by the United States. Even way before I joined Venezuela analysis, I thought this team was doing, you know, was an absolute champion when it came to communicating what sanctions are, what their consequences are, and how Venezuelans have found incredible ways not only to survive, but to continue moving forward with the Bolivarian project. So for people who follow Venezuelan news and more important for uh, solidarity movements, you know, if you want to understand the blockade against Venezuela, I, I definitely recommend following our daily news coverage, but also checking our interviews, videos, infographics. We actually have a whole segment on our website dedicated to sanctions with all the information needed to dismantle corporate media dishonesty. I think that anyone interested in understanding Venezuelan reality needs to see the Bolivarian process in all its colors. The good, the not so good, the things that need to improve from the ever-evolving popular struggles to, to the economic crisis, to the deadly economic sanctions, the government's efforts to recover the economy, and you know, the sometimes misguided policies that come with those efforts. And this is what you find every day on Venezuela Analysis, both our website and our social media operations. Yeah, and speaking of social media, just this morning I was reading an article about the efforts that the Juan Orlando Hernandez regime went to to try to manipulate social media to its favor. You know, when I was in Honduras, a lot of people were talking a lot about how what an efficient political machine. So it's not surprising that regimes like Juan Orlando Hernandez, who are arguably enemies of the people and, and the imperialist propaganda, they're good at using social media. They know how to manipulate it in order to change opinion, precisely as you said, the situation, the way that they weaponize Venezuela when whenever there's talk about progressive movements in or outside of Latin America, always using it as a, as a boogeyman. And a lot of the work that you've been doing with Venezuela analysis has been to improve our presence on social media channels. Honestly, it's really been impressive. And I think even our readers have noticed distinct change that's happened. But of course, it's not just an exercise in vanity, as you explained, you know, this is about also countering the imperialist propaganda. So tell us a little bit why this kind of content, the, the new information that we're publishing on social media channels and on the website, the infographics, the podcast is important in the efforts to combat imperialist propaganda. Yeah, well, you know, sadly, if something is not on social media, it's like it doesn't exist. So... <laughs> We can, we can have this amazing work every day on our website, but we, we, need to, we need to occupy all the spaces. And that means we need to be on every platform, Twitter, Instagram, Telegram, and Facebook, and so many more. We're even sometimes joking that we're going to open a TikTok account soon enough because, you know, like corporate media has occupied all the spaces. They, they, they know they have to. So, and so we have to do the same. And, you know, one of my purposes within Venezuela analysis, or at least that's the way I see it, has been, has been that, has been trying to make our social media, uh, to increase our presence in social media. And, rescuing these historical moments in the past 23 years that are essential to understanding how the Bolivarian process began, the ways it has evolved, and how it relates to Venezuela's popular struggles today. So we offer non-stop coverage about Venezuela's reality. 
but we also have to understand that we need to sometimes talk about the historical context because corporate media is still uses this this lie that Venezuela was this amazing, prosperous, rich country before Chavez came and ruined everything. And so we need to rescue the, the, the entire Bolivarian process. We need to do this little, uh, I like to call it like time capsules, these little uh, recounts of history on Instagram where, for example, I tell the story of the of the first time Chavez was elected president and then I I do a little recount of everything he did in those first three five years not only do we recount all these historical moments but we also connect all the dogs to present popular struggles like we did with the land law in 2001 it was approved the historical land law which now is a law that is being strongly being defended by the Venezuelan campesinos because we still have a small economic elite that is fighting to to change that law. You know, we we have to remember that this is something that uh, began with Chavez and that we are still working for. We are still trying fighting to to go completely independent when it comes to our own food production. And we still are facing many enemies in that area. So we have to make these, these struggles very visible. I think that that is basically the, the idea behind this new approach that we have to social media. You know, rescuing these historical moments and connecting them with popular struggles today. So we understand that the, what's happening today is something that we have been fighting for, for years and it is something that people, it's not just about people now defending or, or uh, something out of nowhere. No, this is the whole process and we've been fighting and it means forever. Yeah, you've made a couple of references now to rescatar la memoria histórica, no? to, to rescuing this historic memory, connecting what's happening today to things that happened in the past. And I have the benefit of seeing some of the behind-the-scenes decision-making that happens at Venezuela Analysis. And actually, twice now, we've seen a couple of pieces that started as social media posts turn into full-length pieces. And in my opinion, these have been among those that have the most passion and conviction, where it really leaped off the screen. Can you tell us a little bit more about your connection to these stories of Venezuelan figures like Gabaldon, which we just published, and, and last month with Argelia Laya, and why you wrote about them the way that you did? We need to rescue historical moments and we need to do it even way before Hugo Chavez and the Bolivarian process because even Chavez himself, he, he used to say that, um, that we need to remember everyone that all these leaders, all these people that came before that paved the path for the Bolivarian process. And some of them are, for example, Argelia Laya, who was a feminist, the, the most important feminist figure in the history of Venezuela. She was a teacher, she was a social activist, she was a communist militant. And, you know, today she, she was the first woman in Venezuela that spoke publicly about legal abortion. And legal abortion is something that we are still fighting for in Venezuela today. And so it's important to remember that our fight for this important issue, which is legal and free and safe abortion. It is something that began, began with an important figure in Venezuelan history, who is Argelia Laya. 
we need to understand the historical context of every popular struggle. And one way to do it for me is rescuing the life, the legacy of some of these Venezuelan leaders that have passed away, but they continue to inspire popular struggles today. And it is the same case with Gabaldon, with Algimiro Gabaldon. He is, is actually is very interesting because the reason why that ended up being a, a whole article is because it, very little is known about Venezuelan guerrilla struggles. Like we, we don't really, in, like we don't really learn about it very much, also Venezuelan, and I think probably the world doesn't know about it either. So as I started reading about it, and you know, I, I, I knew some, but I, I wasn't completely aware of the entire process. And I ended up reading like two books and like a million articles and watching videos and watching Chavez videos talking about Gabaldon. He, he used to say that we were like the continuation of Gabaldon's guerrilla movement, like we were his soldiers, something like that. So I thought, you know, we need to rescue this figure. We need to show people that the, the, some of the struggles today began with someone like Gabaldon, who was also a communist militant that fought for equal access to the land, that fought for equality, for social justice against these military dictatorships and against these neoliberal governments that ruled in Venezuela for 40 years and it is a dark period in history that actually ended in 1998 with Hugo Chavez. And he rescued all these people. Hugo Chavez usually in every speech, he will also, he will always reference Gabaldon, Angel Alaya and so many others. So I think as journalists and as an anti-imperialist media outlet, we need to do the same. Absolutely. And I think a lot of these figures aren't just inspirational to Venezuelans or Latin Americans, but to proletarians throughout the world. And I think that's what's really important about some of the work that we're doing, right? This, is, this isn't just about Venezuela. You know, this is about La Patria Grande, right? The, the greater homeland. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We've been speaking with Andreina Chavez, staff writer at Venezuela Analysis. Thank you so much. It was so much fun and, and so exciting. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Venezuela Analysis is just one source in a promising wave of alternative outlets doing this important work. We are happy to count on friends and comrades also fighting against corporate media propaganda. From Telesur to Brazil Wire, you'd be surprised to learn how much is done by only a handful of people. One excellent new outlet is Gausachun News, based in Bolivia, the English language service of Radio Gausachun Coca, the official outlet of the six federations of the Tropico de Cochabamba. Gausachun News was created at the height of the struggle against the U.S.-backed coup, as social movements demanded that their voices be heard internationally. Their mission is, quote, to defend the struggles for popular sovereignty in Bolivia and all of Latin America and the Caribbean. The anti-imperialist, anti-capitalist, and anti-neoliberal editorial line is determined by the social movements of the Tropico, the owners of the outlet, end quote. In the following segment, we speak with Camila Escalante, a Latin America-based reporter and editor with Gaussachun News. Camila, welcome to the show. You've worked with other outlets like Telesur, and now you're involved with this project, Building Gausachu News, a Bolivia-based news outlet covering not just Bolivia, not just South America, but Latin America as a whole. So you've been doing an incredible amount of work, really impressive journalism. So I'd like to know, what's your personal motivation behind your work as an anti-imperialist journalist? Well, thank you for having me, and I really appreciate the work of Venezuela Analysis. And of course, it's been a resource for me. Uh, perhaps the most important resource in English on Venezuela since um, I began 
following and covering Venezuela closely at Telesur English. And we started Castro News because we thought that there was still something missing. There was still um, no outlet that covered Latin America in the which we saw that it needed to be covered in, in English for a foreign audience um, and for an English speaking audience around the world. We know that there are a lot of social movements and a lot of uh, different anti-imperialist uh, sectors of people, populations all around Africa and um, Asia and the Middle East and Europe who are also trying to build and learn from the example of the revolutions of Latin America. And it's very difficult to get that information to them if it's not in English. And so we launched Kasashwa News with, um, with the intent of covering both the grassroots movements, the unions, the indigenous and campesino struggles from Bolivia, but also some of the integrationist projects that Bolivia and other countries of our region are taking part in, such as ALBA TCP, such as CARICOM. We have been beginning to cover uh, Caribbean countries and issues as well, and also SELAC now. So we think it's very important uh, to, to give these more of a platform. And we felt that we had to build that platform because it just simply didn't exist with what we saw. We really appreciate and take lessons from the existing media projects out there, such as Venezuela Analysis, Brazil Wire, Orinoco Tribune, and a number of others. But we still feel like there's a role for a Bolivia-based outlet to cover the movements and other things in our region. So alternative outlets like Gaussetra News often face criticisms, both from the left and right, but I'd like to talk about the criticisms that come from the left, what, from people that I would consider ultra-left academics, for editorial line, for saying it's an anti-imperialist outlet, for clearly sympathizing with the Latin American political revolution. What do you say to these critics? I think there has been a total lack of accountability in the reporting and the dissemination of information from these academics and from different personalities, uh, media personalities, common, uh, commentators, from the left um, and, you know, from, I guess, the neoliberal university is what I call it, um, in the north, because they absolutely have no uh, permanent presence in the way in which we have in reporting on the ground alongside these social movements and alongside these revolutionary processes. Um, we want to be um, reporting alongside these leftist governments alongside these different processes to make sure that we have an accurate idea of what's going on. We don't think it's enough to simply write a paper and then move on and jump over to parachute into another um, into another issue elsewhere in the world. And that's why we have maintained a very narrow focus on particular processes in particular countries. Um, we saw in which um, these different academics and personalities covered Bolivia during 2019 when a coup was building up against uh, the government of President Evo Morales. And we have seen that repeatedly happen one year before it happened in Nicaragua in 2018, where we saw a war waged against the Nicaraguan government in the foreign press, but also with ground actors uh, there committing acts of violence on the ground, what we called the, the Guarimbas of Nicaragua it happened one year before that in 2017, where the foreign press came in and said that there were that, uh, you know, repressive acts were taking place on the part of the government against citizens. They weren't showing the ways in which violence was being carried out by terrorists there on the ground in Venezuela. That whole situation was completely manipulated by the mainstream media. And instead of 
criticizing, countering, being uh, skeptical of the narratives being put out by the corporate-owned dominant media, we saw these same lines and these same ideas that are perpetrated by the State Department and U.S. officials echoed again in academia by these by these uh, professors who um, have been doing things like signing letters um, against leftist governments, trying to highlight their supposed concern for environmental matters when it comes to leftist governments, but not sharing those same concerns um, when it comes to right-wing governments that are allied with the United States. So we felt the, we feel the need to push back against that and offer a clear um, a clear perspective on what's going on in the on the ground. We know that these leftist governments are being brought to power by the masses in the most democratic of ways, processes that don't exist in the global north. And we know that they have the ability increasingly to create ways and mechanisms of of exerting power within these within these political processes exerting power on those authorities to act on their behalf. And it's not the story that we've been told by these academics who tried to paint a picture of authoritarianism, of repression, of totalitarianism. So they say they make these claims against our leftist leaders. They don't make these claims against the governments that are controlled by Washington. Yeah, and I find it incredibly suspect, especially around the timings of some of these. Now, I'm not one to snitch jack at anybody. I'm not going to question whether or not their motivations are authentic. But I do think that it is very suspect that certain people will go out of their way to publish that criticism in these critical moments, right? Like moments where people's lives are at stake. And I don't think that that is necessarily the time for people to air their grievances with this or that political decision, which is often a criticism that is made outside of any given context. You know, and I was reading, reading recently uh, Extraordinary Threat with a book by Joe Emmersberger and, and Justin Pordur. And in the very early in the first chapter, they talk about the importance of these kinds of criticisms in the way that it actually opens up a space for the right wing attacks, because it makes it easier for liberals to say, well, this uh, academic or this NGO has made this criticism. And, and that kind of allows the, the unity that's necessary in these moments to, to be dismantled from people who probably consider themselves to be on the left. But that's just one of the many things that leftist media, uh, like the work of Gulf Satru News and Venezuela Analysis, they face in terms of reaching a bigger audience. What do you think are some of the other main challenges that organizations and outlets like ours face in terms of reaching that bigger audience and hopefully contributing to what is a more forceful, more powerful anti-imperialist movement in imperialist countries? Well, you guys know it more than anyone. And it's actually one of the things that gives me a lot of, uh, you know, up optimism and encouragement to keep going is that it's very difficult to get our hands on the resources we need in order to do this work. It's um, often that outlets such as ours aren't recognized as the kind of forces that they are, um, but they are actually incredibly impactful in getting information out, particularly that we start um, as websites, as social media based. And this is, of course, where young people are getting their information. They're not getting their information any longer from uh, conventional outlets and from traditional media that's based on television and newspapers and uh, radio. And so um, I think sometimes, you know, the places where we need to be getting these, uh, getting our information is often governments. It's often, uh, you know, politicians, political figures, and sometimes they're not willing to give us the time of day or, 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 you know, realize the importance of the work we do, but we've been finding ways of doing that and touching base with the social movements, building 
up these important relationships with ground actors everywhere, even sometimes hearing ourselves from um, from people who represent uh, different views, uh, sometimes even right wing views to try to understand what the situation is in the countries we cover. Um, funding has been a huge uh, barrier, as as you guys know. Um, you know, we don't have the ability to easily travel places, be, um, you know, have a large enough staff to be covering different events all at once. We have to maintain a very small scope. Um, but we know that that the, the amount of work we do and the things we do cover are extraordinarily impactful and in fact have um, done a number in telling the truth and letting people know what the situation is here. Um, compared to any of the existing uh, media outlets that have covered Latin America in the past, without naming any of them, a lot of them continue to, you know, as we've said before, uh, give platforms to views that are very supportive of State Department and right wing uh, and right wing takes on the on the situations in those countries. So I think that you know we have to think about some of the ways in which we can collaborate and support each other's work. But I know that a lot of the movements in the North and in the English speaking world have really appreciated and gained a lot from from what we've had to offer in the short time we've been around. Yeah, I think it's important to to criticize the other people who are taking up this space that that exists in the media landscape. Uh, again, I'm not going to name names either, but I think we know who we're talking about here. And I think that there should be a call directly to people living in, in imperialist countries to to support the work of outlets like Gaussachun and Venezuela Analysis. Uh, specifically for you, why do you think it's important for people in imperialist and advanced capitalist countries to help fund our work and support these anti-imperialist narratives that are being brought to the public by people on the ground like yourself? Well, it makes a world of a difference in understanding the situations as they actually are on the ground. I think it was most important, and you know, um, at Venezuela Analysis and anyone else who was already following VA in 2017, when the Guarimbas were attacking um, and committing acts of violence and terrorism in the streets of Caracas, it was really concentrated in one area. But it was a bunch of a bunch of kids who were um, hopped up on meth and drugs that were fed to them by uh, actors of the opposition there in Venezuela, who were funded by um, you know agencies that are based in the United States and linked to the State Department. And we were told, um, you know, this whole story in order to uh, so that the U.S. could garner support for foreign intervention and a coup in Venezuela. That, of course, failed. But a big part of the reason why it not only failed, it failed because it was defeated by the Venezuelan people, uh, you know, the government and all of the grassroots there really oppose that sort of intervention on a whole. But also the media narrative had to be turned had to be turned over. And it was turned over because of outlets like Venezuela Analysis telling the truth about what was going on there. We wouldn't have been able to see those different angles um, revealed had it not been for these regular reports on the ground, particularly articles. It's one of the only news sources where you can count on finding regular news articles. Um, and certainly at the time had to have been the only one with that perspective on the ground in Venezuela, um, and and not uh, and not abroad from somebody's desk or uh, or office in the north, it was just extraordinarily crucial 
in, uh, you know, at Telestore English, we focused on some things like multimedia clips, photos, uh, little, little videos and things. And that's extremely important too, but some of the best in-depth, uh, well-sourced information came from Venezuela analysis. And that's the kind of thing that we wanted to provide from Bolivia during the coup when we launched when we launched Kalsashua News. And that's the kind of thing that we wanted to provide in covering all these elections and different processes in Latin America is a perspective from the ground, from reporters who are based in Latin America with collaborators and other collaborators and other friends who have been able to uh, provide us with information that just wouldn't be that wouldn't be accessible to people in the English speaking world without this crucial service. I think one way to sum it up is to say to support outlets like Venezuela Analysis or Gaucho News is an act of anti-imperialist solidarity. And if people are serious about being anti-imperialist, if they're serious about their role as proletarian internationalists, then it's important for them to to get behind the work of people who are doing here and, and actually put tangible material support behind the words of their anti-imperialism. And I, and I hope that, that they can. So Venezuela Analysis, we're in the middle of our fundraising drive. Please give if you can. Uh, but also, I want to invite people to support Gaussetra News as well. Uh, Camila, just one final note. Let us know how can people get in touch with the work of, of Gaussetra News? How can they follow what you've been publishing? And how can they support? Well, we're finding more platforms to put ourselves and our informations on, on our and our information on. We, I think, we have our largest audiences, of course, on Twitter, but we're also on Facebook, on TikTok, and Instagram. And we hope to be starting a stream, like uh, a streamer podcast, in the way in which Venezuela Analysis has. Uh, but we appreciate all the support um, from our comrades um, from the different anti-imperialist projects and organizations in the global north and we can be best supported through Patreon, but also through just sharing our work and reporting. Excellent, thanks so much. We've been speaking with Camila Escalante, Latin America-based reporter and editor with Gaussachu News. That's our program for today. A reminder that at Venezuela Analysis, we are in the midst of our annual fundraising campaign. Help sustain our on-the-ground operation so we can counter the corporate media narrative by giving voice to the Bolivarian grassroots resisting the U.S. blockade. We close today's program with the song Fiesta de Sembrina by the Villos Caracas Boys, a classic in Venezuela at this time of year. Happy holidays. Y hasta la victoria siempre.